0: I'm Wendy Murdoch, and I've been bringing you a series of webinars during the pandemic. Uh, It's been my honor and pleasure to have some amazing guests on my webinars, and it's just been so fantastic, and the information has been really great. Uh, I'm going to keep rolling with these through the month of June because I've decided to stay home through June. Um, In July, I'm hoping I can travel, but I'm only going to do some driving clinics. And at the same time, I'm going to see if I can't keep the webinars going, maybe not quite at the frequency I've been doing right now. Um, you can find all of the webinars on my YouTube channel, Surefoot Equine, and we post them up on the Facebook page. So um, if you have any friends you want to tell about the webinars, just send them over to the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel. Today my guest is Lester Buckley. Uh, he's a horseman that I met Lester, when did we meet about five years ago? Um, I think it was no, about five years ago, ago, maybe longer. I hate to think about it. Um, it was
1: about eight, <laughs> or eight. we were living in Hawaii.
0: Right. How long ago was that?
1: That was seven to eight years ago.
0: Oh, okay. Longer ago than I thought. Um, a good friend of mine, a neighbor, Nancy, uh, had met Lester when she traveled out to California. And so she was so impressed with his work, she decided to bring him to Virginia to do workshops and clinics. Well, of course, I was traveling most of the time, and when Lester came, he came from Hawaii, and he needed a horse, so I had him come over to meet Al before I'd let him ride my horse. Um, Lester had back pain, and we'll talk about that in a little while, but he had some back pain, and so uh, we did some stuff. Uh, he wound up with a big red ball, and he'll, we'll let him tell the rest of that story. Um, so I've known Lester since that time, although You know, like so many of my friends, we don't get to see each other very often because we're usually traveling in different directions. Um, But we always kind of stay in touch, which is one of the things that I think a true friendship really shows is that you don't have to be around people to stay friends with them and you can reconnect anytime. So uh, thank you for coming, Lester, for being on the webinar.
1: Glad to be here, Wendy. Glad to help share what you're doing.
0: That's great. So Lester, um, some people may not know who you are. So if you could give us your, your kind sort of history, bio background, how you got here. Um, I think it's a fascinating story and I think it's inspirational for a lot of people. So if you wouldn't mind sharing a bit of that, I think it would be great.
1: Okay, I'll keep it, I'll keep it real brief. Uh, I was raised in Texas. I lost my mom and dad pretty early. And the horses became a bit of a sanctuary there for me. And I went to college in a little school, Alpine, Sol Ross State University. And I got a scholarship to go, kind of the ultimate scholarship. I got a scholarship to go follow Ray Hunt around and uh, see what he was teaching and then come back and teach it to my peers there at the university. And graduated with a Bachelor of Science in, in Range Animal Science. And apprenticed after that with a cutting horse trainer, a good one. Uh, Willie Richardson for about seven years and then he basically told me he didn't have any more to teach me that I should go create my own life. So from there I spent a little bit of time in Canada and I trained horses at the King Ranch. King Ranch introduced me to the Parker Ranch and those were really key years for me because I had the principles that Ray and the other horsemen had laid down but I needed time to sort it out and practice and so between Canada and the king ranch and the parker ranch you know we get to start 100 colts or more a year and obviously make some mistakes and and maybe not all of our judgment was great but in retrospect you have good judgment uh, through experience and and uh, kind of grew up in the cutting horse business um and when i was just about ready to kind of segue out of that sport Uh, I met a a fellow named Hannes Mueller was teaching a dressage training clinic there in Fort Worth while I was showing cutting horses. And I got invited to sit in between classes and I didn't know who he was, but I remember the riding was absolutely gorgeous. And so I took notes every day and I'm still got my notes to this day that I refer to. And after about a week, he and I became friends and he invited me to come to Germany and ride. And so I went to Germany and rode as part of a pilot program where they took non-German riders and shared with them the principles of dressage riding, uh, sport jumping, and, and their cross country, and then became an instructor licensed through the German FN uh, in that sport as well. And now Mary and I live here in Kentucky. We have our home and our own horse farm here. And we just, uh, you know, we'll bring in a few horses from time to time that are, that are special and then of course we travel when when it's permitted uh you know through life circumstances to travel and teach and and help people with their horses wherever they live and in a nutshell uh i use the term loosely that's kind of my story
0: yeah so um when we met you were still living in um hawaii right yes ma'am and um And, and you had back pain. So t- tell us a little bit about that. Because, you know, otherwise I'm going to talk about red and people are going to wonder what I'm talking about.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kind of our mutual joke now is when Wendy sends me an email or a letter, she'll say, How's, how are you and red getting along? Uh, and basically red is this big red ball. And so the lady, Nancy, who organized my Virginia clinic, wanted me to demo and then of course Wendy had the horse Al then Wendy she's like well you can't get on my horse till you get balanced and uh, so I bet we spent four to five hours in Joyce's barn yeah on the ball not on just on the ball but just on watching me move and watching and 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 it really I had historic back problem all the way from high school from an injury till I met you, which is a long, several decades. And it was chronic and I saw the chiropractors regularly. And what I appreciate about your teaching is you didn't say that's wrong, do this. You just said, let's try this. What do you think about that? Let's try this. What do you think about that? And so it's almost like you kind of in that barn for four or five hours, you kind of led me to learn how my own body felt better. And the ball was just kind of like it still is i mean it's in my tack room to this day uh a way for me to go back and without trying to force an exercise to allow my body to to stretch and find its find its own best balance again and and i'm so thankful now maybe we see the chiropractor less than once a year and when things are kind of starting to get a little bit tight i i know you basically you were able to share with me some key exercises that I can run in there and just close the doors and then red and I have a nice little visit for however long it is. And then, and then I come out and then I'm like reset, so to speak, and, and rebalanced and, and I've kind of got rid of the tension that was starting to creep in and then I'm ready to go ride again. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was, and you know, you kind of kicked that deal off that four to five hour session there in Joyce's Marn. But it, it gave me the tools to, to basically use it, you know, for the rest of my life.
0: That's so awesome because I, um, I remember working with you, but then again, we went our separate ways and I had no idea that Red was traveling with you as much as he was. And because uh, Lester named the ball Red. And, um, and it, it's just great. really great because, you know, that's the whole basis of the Feldenkrais method, which is a lot of what we did, is that we can become our own teachers and we can heal ourselves. And, um, it just makes me smile to know how, that you're you know you're able to do that for yourself now that is so cool really really fun so um during that time got, when lester, oh, go ahead lester
1: and then after that i passed the test the one statement that's hilarious is uh you were looking at me and you go you're walking like an old man and i'm like I know, that's what it feels like. You're like, well, if you want to be an old man, walk like an old man. I said, I don't want to be an old man. <laughs> and so you said, well, here, let's walk like your age or younger. And, and then I began walking like that and wow, did it help. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's great.
1: Yes, and so then with that, then I got dried out, and then the rest is history. So thank you.
0: Oh, you're welcome. That was really fun. And you know, so often too is, and that's one of the things about um, doing this as a profession, it's hard work. It's a lot of physical work. We ride a lot of horses. Maybe a horse doesn't, you know, twist funny and kind of throws us out. And if we don't have ways to reset our own body and, and get rid of whatever that is that happened to us, that injury, that pattern, that stiffness, we carry that onto the next horse. And so then each horse we get on, we carry a little bit of that too. And and that's going to affect the training. So, um, you know, it's really important. I, I had another guy who was from Spain and he was a trainer from Spain. He rode in the school in Jerez. And um, you know, the first Feldenkrais lesson I gave him, he said, I said, do you have any any pain anywhere? He says, I'm a rider. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So do you have, oh yeah, my back. And so I gave him a lesson. And then a couple months later I saw him again and, I, and he said, I'm a rider. And I was like, okay. And we gave him another lesson. And the third time he said, I sit at a desk. <laughs> and So his riding had gotten so much better but now it was the desk that he realized was causing him problems. So um, yeah, sometimes we get stuck in these patterns and think that's what we have to live with, but um, that's where the Feldenkrais method shows us that we can achieve our potential and we don't have to feel limited by the injuries that we've had in the past. So that's just, I'm just really, um, it tickles me to to know that you're doing well, it really does. Um, So today, um, Lester, uh, has, he sent me a bunch of pictures, uh, about a horse that he worked with. So, so after we met, I was doing Surefoot. I started Surefoot about eight years ago. Actually it was eight years ago, May in 2012. So Lester, I, I probably what, didn't even show that to you at the time, because either I hadn't started or I had just started. Um, but when you came back, we, I did and, um, worked with Nancy's horses with the pads. And then tell us how, cause I don't, I, you moved from Hawaii, what year?
1: 2015.
0: 15. Yeah. So I know that that was a that was a pretty big move to go from Hawaii to to Kentucky, um, weather-wise as well as just geographic location. Um, so we kind of lost touch a little bit. But then later on, you came back and um, to work with Nancy's horses. And um, and I'm not sure where in that process you uh, we talked about Surefoot. I can't remember now. Maybe you remember.
1: Oh, I, I remember like it was yesterday. Okay. Uh, first, we all had supper one night, and you and Joyce were sitting right next to me, and you were talking about Surefoot, and you were like, I think I'm on to something, but, you know, and so it was kind of the genesis of watching you guys talk about it, and then I said, bring them to the clinic, and so after the clinic, you put out all these pads, and you had me step on them, oh. and you're like, okay, just, and... <laughs> And you said, I don't care how you step on them or how long you stay on them, but just start with whichever foot you want and make a circle and then come back. Then you'll come off of them. And I think there was a series of four. There okay. was a wedge and a big flat one and a kind of medium round one. And anyway, there was four different variations and you had me step on them myself, no right or wrong, and then come around and then do it again and do it again. And we, we, we watched my balance and poise start to advance as I did this myself. And that was my introduction.
0: Well, I'm glad you remember. I totally forgot that. But as you say that, it's coming back to me. I think that was over at, um, at that farm where, um, I can't remember her name. Cabin Creek. That's it. Cabin Creek. Creek. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so then, um, later on, sort of the next time I recall that we talked about it was that you had a client that brought her horse to you for training. Is that right?
1: That's correct. I, I came across the horse, actually, in a clinic in California. We had moved to Kentucky, brought all, all of our horses from Hawaii, and we were teaching a clinic in California, and there was a horse there that was kind of surly and real bothered and uh, not having a great day, a little bit cranky. And, uh, and the rider is a very good rider, but for whatever reason, we just couldn't figure out what was going on. And at any time she'd ask the horse, I mean, any time, at all times she'd ask the horse to go, he would just rare up, uh, considerably rare up to the point that any intelligent rider would take their legs off. And, and uh, we just, during the clinic, we tried working with him there for a little bit. And then the rider, the trainer, finally stepped off and said, that's it, I'm done. Uh, I, I just, I'm done with him. And so we put the horse away. And we went on with the clinic for a couple of days and then the owner of the horse asked if I would come by the private barn and we kind of tried some little things, uh, with him there in California. And he was still holding on to a lot of stuff. And so, um, that trainer was okay with that horse, you know, kind of passing out of her season. And the owner asked if I would be interested in bringing him back to Kentucky. And so we brought him back to Kentucky and, and, um, We've had him some time now and that first year really was a bit of a challenge because he was doing the same behavior with me. I'd ask him to uh, maybe move his hip or just take a step. And I mean, not really much at all. And then he was real, you know, kind of a little bit sour and unsettled. And if you ask him to do much, he would rear. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's where your Surefoots came in. And so we spent a little bit of time well, actually, quite a bit of time. Just letting him know that he could trust my legs, trust my core, and then I worked out a relationship with him to where he would learn to trust my
0: hands. So I'd like to show uh, the it, picture that you did of, of, of when he arrived. Okay, Mary. Mary said he was that.
1: a little bit depressed. I would say, okay, he was. He, I wouldn't say he was a joyful horse when he arrived.
0: And I, I think this is the one, can you see that? Yep. Yeah.
1: Yes, so, I can see that it's not large or anything, but he was, uh, you know, he was relatively depressed. Uh, and then, you know, didn't he certainly? he certainly wasn't thriving.
0: And how old was he here, Lester?
1: That's a good question. You know, he might have been just kind of entering his prime years, maybe uh, seven years old, maybe six.
0: And did you ever get a history uh, on him? Maybe six.
1: Yeah, yeah, the wonderful, beautiful owners, and they had raised him, and he had, had a wonderful childhood, so to speak. Um, and, uh, you know, they had kind of maintained him, and he had a good start. He just kind of got into a season where he lost his confidence and his movement. And maybe his confidence in people, and uh, kind of needed a different season, you know. To to one of those exceptionally intelligent kind of horses that we really have to ride in a real fair way. And when it's not fair, he's the kind that's go, hey, hey, wait a minute here. No.
0: Yeah, I think this is another picture yeah. of him when he arrived.
1: Yep, that's when he came. I think wow. that's like just the first couple of days when he got here. And just kind of, you know, we try to bring up the joy and the brilliance in the horses when they come in for training and obviously develop them physically as well. And uh, he was was just what I would call just kind of flat and maybe a little bit more internal and didn't really have a lot of interest. And, well, he just didn't express joy for living. And so, you know, it's
0: interesting because, you know, usually we associate those horses with horses that have been abused or, you know, have had a traumatic experience. Um, and this one, you know, basically, that's just kind of was him.
1: Yeah, no, he didn't. I don't, to my knowledge, he didn't have any trauma or no bad experiences. He just kind of went through a season where he lost his joy of movement, really. And we know that movement with horses is a huge thing. Yeah, having confidence to move freely and he had lost that
0: yep and i think this is one more picture here of when he arrived yep yep and so you can see he he doesn't look stressed i mean he's he looks fairly relaxed there even though he's traveled to your place Mm
1: -hmm. yeah he's he's relaxed he's not worried he's not trying to get away or anything but he's just You can tell he's just kind of inside of himself and not really uh, that interested in in what's going on on the outside, and he's really different than that now. Yeah.
0: So um, one of the things that I I forgot to kind of talk to you a little bit about is that uh, because you went to Germany, you you ride both Western and English. Um, You're not afraid to put on a pair of britches, in other words.
1: I'm not afraid of that. (laughs)
0: Yeah. No. <laughs> and um. And so, you. How long did you spend in Germany?
1: We went back and forth for almost a decade. So oh, wow. all of their pro, all, all of their programs would be anywhere from a month to about six weeks, depending on what level that you were riding at. And uh, you know, uh, and of course, they don't specialize whether it's in horses or people. You have to do all the events. So you would always have uh, lunging and your basis, you know, and your barn management and then dressage, uh, sport jumping and uh, cross country. And then you would have your theory and you, and your theory. Basically, you needed to learn the German uh, philosophy of training and the training scale. And, and so over a period of 10 years, we would go uh, pretty regularly and it would be for anywhere from a window of four to six weeks, depending on the sessions they were having.
0: Did
1: you learn German? You know, it's a weird question. <laughs> uh, the the breeders there that I work with, now, number one, the Germans, they're, they're really wanting to speak English when you go. Uh, so I had a heart surgery the year I was supposed to go for my trainer's license test. And I had a heart surgery, my first heart surgery in my 40s. And so I missed going with the Americans. And so later I got to take the riding... Uh, trainer's license test with the Germans and it was a blast because they were all just dying to speak English. Uh, so what I learned was I can hear it and I can understand what they're saying and then I'll speak back to them in English oh, okay. and then they'll speak back to me in German and it's, it's, it's really an odd conversation because I'll speak to them in English and they'll answer me in German and I'll speak to them in English and they'll answer me in German and it's like we understand each other. You know, uh, it, I did try to. Learn, I'm sorry, I did try to learn German, and I learned just enough to get me in trouble. And I went into a restaurant or somewhere, and I spoke the German that I knew, and then they thought I knew more. And then they started speaking really fast, and I'm like, "Wait, time out! I don't know any German. Forget it."
0: <laughs> it's not an easy language. I tried to learn it, and I've I've gone to Germany. I can't tell you how many times. Um, and unfortunately, I you know I am not language gifted, so. That's always one of my thoughts when I go to a country is will I, you know, if they speak English, I'm okay. But if they don't speak English, I'm really in trouble. I have to have a translator. But, um, but the reason I wanted to bring up that you've written English is because one of the photos here that um, Mary sent, Mary's your wife, Mary sent me, was that you started him treasure under, saddle, under English saddle. So I've got that picture blown up. Can you see that okay?
1: I can see it small, but yeah, that was that was our beginning. And uh, the, the you know the owners, they were hopeful. They were hopeful that he could just be a, a classic English dressage horse. And here I've just got an old Passier on him, and we're starting out. And 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 he held on to a little bit of stuff. And there I'm just making sure that everything fits properly. I don't wasn't looking for the Tom Mix look there, so. Well, that's the thing is, Uh, if you go into the
0: German schools, then detail and exactness is really important. Um, And I'm sure that that carries over in everything you do.
1: Yes, detail. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And so how um, did you, you started him under English tack then?
1: Yes, ma'am. And I just felt like I needed to keep trying things to get him refreshed. So we did the English attack for a season and uh, he was okay, but it's like he still kind of held on to quite a bit. And so I talked with the owners and they're real gracious people. And I said, do you mind if I ride him Western? There he is, English again. This is in our outdoor arena, obviously during winter time. And you can see now he's starting to get a little bit of joy by now. I probably have tested the uh, surefoot on him by now. I can see by the look in his face. And, uh, but that's wintertime in our outdoor arena. The other one was wintertime in our indoor arena. Now, this is a dressage saddle. The other was more of a, uh, a jumping saddle. And so, you know, we, we took him over the ground poles, kind of anything to get their mind off of me onto the job at hand. So the other little posse saddle was, you know, going over some ground poles and, you know, we use, uh, Linda's, uh, labyrinths that she has. Oh yeah. And different things like that. And this is actually his own Dressage saddle that I was riding him with. And as time went on, you know, we just started finding other ways to refresh him. And I'm sure
0: you rode him out because there's beautiful countryside all around you.
1: Especially in the wintertime, because there's fewer bugs. Uh,
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so, um, (laughs) about how long had he been with you at that point?
1: That's probably all within his first year right there.
0: Oh, okay. And then...
1: His ears are up and he's looking pretty happy right there. So he's probably probably hit the year point at that point at least, maybe even after that.
0: And so you started using the Surefoot pads with him pretty early on, right? Mm
1: -hmm. Yes, because we were just looking for options to... Basically, to get him to kind of turn loose of some of that, maybe some of the memories or even the way of moving. And and what my gut instinct was is a little bit like what you and I experienced in the hallway. As I started to move freer and with my true balance, then I started to feel wonderful. And then my joy came. And then I'm trying to offer that same kind of feeling that I got to him. And so the Surefoot pads came in there. And we have a lot, I remember I had Mary come up to the arena and I was just gonna like hop on him, saddle him, slide four pads, cause we'd already done it in the barn aisle, so he was familiar with the pads. And I said, hey, just grab your cell phone, let's video this, it shouldn't take too long. Let's just slip the four pads under his four feet. I'm just gonna sit on him here for however long he decides it's gonna be. And then when we're done, I'll just ride him off and we'll marry the two things together. And so we started filming and filming and filming. And I'm not kidding, Wendy, he like went to sleep. And it started like this. First, he closed his eyes. And it's matter of fact, we like ran out of battery, ran out of film capacity. <laughs> so I'm sitting on him and he closed his eyes and then he started doing this.
0: Oh, the sweet. his body.
1: Yeah. And I'm like, wow. I said, I'm just going to go with him. He's not coming off the pads. His eyes aren't even open. And this must've gone on for 20 minutes. Wow. And then after about 20 minutes, he kind of got a little bit quieter and then he stopped and he just kind of blinked his eyes a little bit. And then he opened his eyes like, wow, that was a great nap. I don't know what all was going on. And he blinked his eyes a little bit and then he got bright and he put his ears up and he just nonchalantly, stepped off of the Sherpads pads and we walked and it was a wonderful walk just what i was hoping for and then he walked and then we just asked for a free walk and then from free walk i said would you and i just brought the life up i didn't put a lot of leg on him or anything i just brought my life on it's like how about a how about a trot and then he offered me a trot and then we're trotting and his ears were up and he's joyful and i said how about a canter and off we went and i just let him lope and i got up and rubbed on him and we just cantered around as long as he wanted to go. And then when he was done, took a little break, went the other way, loped both directions, got off, uncinched him, put him in the barn. And it was like a big turning point. Uh, it was a big turning point for him and me both in our relationship, I would say.
0: Wow. That is amazing. That's just a, you know, I, I I've been doing this for eight years. Okay. But I still get so joyful when I hear these stories about these horses that um, find themselves or come out of whatever they're stuck in, and and get back to movement and joy, and that just gives me chills. That's a, such a such a great story to hear. It's really delightful. Thank you. And so you've continued, on, and so now I have some after pictures uh, of uh, his name is Treasure, right? I just I realized I Treasure.
1: I yes, Treasure. Yep. Treasure's his name, and we found that he was actually good at different things, and it wasn't just. Uh, you know, what well, we had in mind, our agenda for him, we kind of turned loose of our agenda for him. And we started riding him, doing some Western dressage work with him and then uh, taking him to, I don't show a lot, uh, but this particular horse I've taken to just a handful of shows and uh, he's done, so here he is at the Kentucky Horse Park and a beautiful trot. And this is in an Arabian uh, ranch class is what this is. So you know he's ridden one-handed now, Western saddle, and you know there's people around, judges, uh, and he's enjoying life.
0: Wow, that's such a great picture, and and so um, how long has he been with you now? Because he's still with you, right?
1: About th- three to four years, I think. He's still with us. Yes, this is this is pretty much home for Treasure. Yep. Yeah. And,
0: and so yeah,
1: he, um, he has found. Him-
0: so I was just going to ask like, like, okay, so he came to you and it was about a year before he kind of, kind of, you ha- when did you have that experience? I'm just trying to think of a timeline because some people wonder, you know, how long does this take or when am I going to see a change or, you know, that kind of a question. And, and obviously one of the things is that your good training goes along with using the surefoot pads to make these changes. It's not just the pads that's causing a miracle here. It's the combination of the pads yeah. and good training
1: that's a key point. Uh, part of it is I had to develop a relationship with him so that he trusted my hands, but for him to trust my hands, I had to have trustworthy hands. Cause if I didn't have trustworthy hands, that would overrule anything else. Uh, and then I had to have trustworthy legs. And so once he understood that there was a certain fairness about the more he imported, you know, the more he did in his body, the less I would do. And so here he is. I'm just doing a little bit, and I've kind of got my seat forward, and we're flying around the arena in loose rain. But uh, timeline, we're at, you know, you can see he's quite a bit more light colored here yeah. than the dappling that he had when he came. So we're looking at probably two and a half to three years here. Uh, and it was it was a combination of getting him confident in my hands, getting him confident in my seat letting him learn to how to be in harmony with my body, getting him confident at my legs and then getting confident at home and then taking it to little venues to where he could, he could, uh, you know, handle the the stimulus of the environment. So the whole process to get him to that point right there was probably a three-year process at least. And, uh, but you know, worth every moment. And, uh, and now we use them for maintenance and we don't have those long, you know 20 minute 30 minute sessions anymore being on the pads uh, if it's kind of a cold drizzly day or he just needs maybe he's not moving the way you know that i know he can we'll just put him on the pads in the middle of the barn aisle and then kind of let him determine how long he wants to be on them. Uh, so this is the Treasure there at the kentucky horse park and this is uh western ranch class and uh And then at the same time, we were showing him in Western Dressage uh, the same days. So he would go show in Western Dressage. But you can see that's a happy horse right there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Very proud of himself, it looks like. He is. So that experience that when you were sitting on him and and he was swaying, how long was that after you got him? Like I'm just trying to kind of figure out when that moment happened
1: but pardon
0: um the the it time you're on him and you've and he swayed when you ran out of camera battery when what where was that in the timeline
1: that was within the first year that's when we were still being real creative to kind of you know pull out everything that we could to get him joyful uh so that was within the first year it wasn't probably within the first six months but i'd say between that six month where went year window you know, by then we had started riding him western, and I was taking him outside more. I found, you know, he was a little bit more excited. Oh, there he is, and we're we're both hot and sweaty right there.
0: Yeah, that because,
1: is in uh, July.
0: Yeah, it's go ahead. High we...
1: humidity and uh, super high humidity. That's at the Kentucky Horse Park, and right there, he was uh, he won his class in his division in the Arabian Western Trail class, and then he ended up reserve champion overall for our region. And, uh, and I'm happy. I'm proud of him. He's proud of himself. And I don't think there's a dry thread on either one of us. No, Kentucky Kentucky in July. July,
0: I just can't imagine showing in the middle of the day.
1: (laughs) But, you know, that's the great thing about the Arabians. I mean, he's like, yeah, it's hot, but let's go do it. And you can still see after really being taxed, uh so that's warmed up for two different classes and competing in two different classes and then he's still like life is good
0: yeah and your back looks really nice and soft there lester
1: <laughs> well uh thank you wendy i appreciate <laughs> that i uh, it's, it's an ongoing project but i have i have some help now
0: um it looks like we might a have fact, a- this, this Oh, okay. No, somebody's just this making a comment a- that they love that you talk about the importance of bringing joy back to the horse. And, and I think that that is something that's, that's really important and that, um, you know, I'm not sure that we talk about that enough. We think about performance and we think about training. And, you know, one of the things that I've noticed with my students um, is that they get so caught up in right and wrong and, and they have to get it right that they forget about the process of learning and that it's messy. It's not always a you know a simple thing. It's not a straight line. It's not always a great experience. It's messy. And that's kind of what learning is like. But we always have to keep uh in mind, I think for me, we have to keep in mind why are we here? Why are we doing this? We're doing this because it's something we love. And the minute we start to make it something that has all these rules and all these, you know, restrictions, then we lose that. We lose that joy too.
1: Do. I think you see it in other places in nature as well, Wendy, uh like the trees, you know Kentucky's blessed with an abundance of trees, but I know when the weather is just all peaceful and easy, the roots really aren't going down, but when the storms come and they're blowing on those trees and you know and it's 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 it's, it's messy, you know the storms are coming, and hopefully it doesn't you know break a tree or kill a tree. But what happens as a result of those storms is the trees are like, oh my, I better put down a little bit more root. And that's why we end up with these big, beautiful elms and walnuts and sycamore trees that we have. Yeah. Those those messy days, those those strained days, I should say, put down roots.
0: Yeah. And, um, you know, I was talking to um, Stephen Peters. You know, Dr. Stephen Peters. And um, you know, we're talking about resilience in horses and resilience in people that you're able to process and take in information and make something out of it as opposed to having it be a threat or being af- afraid that when we're resilient, we can look at something, evaluate it, assess it, and integrate it into our world in terms of that we're safe and we don't have to react to this thing. We can just um, choose the action that we want to take.
1: Okay. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> yes. No, that's wonderful.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm working on myself.
0: <laughs> exactly. And so to be resilient, we can't, we can't be taught in fear if we're going to be resilient mm-hmm. when we're taught in fear, we're, we're not able, we're not actually learning. We're just tolerating things and we're not making good associations. We're actually making disassociations. In other words, we can't, Look at one thing and look at another and recognize. Oh, that's similar. Like this is a pen. This is a pen. Even though they look totally different, they're both pens. I can write with them. When we dissociate like that because we're learning in fear, we can't do that. Horses can't do that, and humans can't do that. They're separate things, and then are to- our world is so disturbed by them.
1: Huh. That's a good point.
0: Yeah, and it and um and I got a picture here of I can't find the video just yet, but I'm I know I downloaded it. Oh no, this is the video. So, so this is treasure on some soft pads. And We'll just, let me just pull this back and we'll play this little video.
1: And this would be what we would consider maintenance for him.
0: And so how often does he, roughly? I mean, I know it's kind of depending on the day, but like how often would you say on average you have, he stands on pads?
1: you know, maybe once every six weeks, you mean, you know, it might be a month and then he might go two months. As long as he's moving well and he's happy, then I don't use the pads. But if he goes through a little season and he's kind of struggling, we get him out and, and it seems like the longer we've gone, the longer he'll stand on them. Because if I bring him out and use them too quickly after we used them before, he's like, no, no, I don't want to stand on those, you know, and then he just walks off. Yeah. And so it's kind of We have to wait until he says that, you know, some things aren't quite right. And then we let him stand on him. And then he's like, ah, yeah. So, and sometimes we'll go several months at a time and not feel the need for him. And so it's more just a kind of a gut instinct.
0: Yep. And one of the things you can see here, if I'm just going to play the video really slowly, is that breathing change right there. If you watch here in his lower ribs. You can really see how he takes this really deep breath right there and you see the whole rib cage expand. It's really awesome. And, and you can, go ahead.
1: You can hear it on audio. You'll hear him just breathing shallow and then you'll hear a
0: Hey, I, I put the sound on. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah, hear it?
0: Yeah, that was great. Takes a nice deep breath. yep and so you know this is one of the things that that, um you've done a really nice job of explaining it it's like people say well how often should my horse be on the pads and it's it's so variable I mean I've had people come up to me and say you know my horse wants a hard pad under the right front foot every single day that I you know when I groom my horse not the left only the right every single day and then there's other horses like Treasure that once they've had the sort of the learning process of it. Then you go into the maintenance mode where it's, you know, every week or every couple of weeks or every six weeks. And it's it's just, it's not something that you can write a formula for.
1: No, no, we're all individuals.
0: Yeah, have, have you used the pads with other horses in your barn?
1: hmm Yep. I have a trainer that has a group of clients and they come over up until the COVID deal. They come over once a month and she has a Connemara Lusitano uh, cross and same kind of deal for him. Uh, He's a very cautious horse with a tremendous amount of talent. Mm -hmm. And last time she was over here, like, hey, you know what? Let's let him stand on the pads and he'll tell us if he likes it or not. And uh, he's an extremely talented horse and she's an extremely talented trainer. But, you know, we took him out into the indoor arena, and I think it was in the wintertime even, and we slipped him underneath there. Yeah, that's him. And he just, he hung out there for quite some time, and you can tell he's enjoying life right there, just kind of hanging out on the pads. Yeah. And uh, so she's a fellow trainer. This is here at our indoor, but she's a fellow trainer and, and, uh, you know, quite talented herself. This horse really didn't have problems. We were just looking at improving his way of going that I like the twinkle in his eyes there and his ears. And obviously we're way back. Matter of fact, we're sitting down in chairs (laughs) on the side of the arena. her, Her and her clients and he's standing out there by himself. He's like, no, I'm good. Really? You don't have to come out here and babysit me at all. It's not like we just stepped back and said, quick, get a picture. It's like, we actually went and sat down in chairs.
0: Yeah. You know, I have one client and what she does is brings her horse into the arena and puts the horse on pads and then goes and sets all of her jumps. And when she goes back to her horse, if the horse isn't ready, she won't get off the pads and she has to wait. And then when she's ready, she gets off and she gets on and then rides her horse. So, um, you know, it's really it's so fun to see when the horses get to have the option. And I, that's one of the things for me that's that's the most important is that we offer these horses a choice and we give them a voice and let them show us what is important to them
1: i Yeah. And, and, and it kind of helps us develop an attitude of listening to them because ultimately they have the answer and we're here to say, well, let's try this together. Yeah. And then they'll be like, yeah, this works. Or are like, well, thank you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's such a different thing than thinking that we have to have all the answers. You know, I think that's one of the, one of the things is that You know, we think, oh, I've got to have the answer, and so even if I don't have it, I'm going to try and make something happen because I'm supposed to be the one leading this thing. Um, And and that's where we get into some of the training philosophy. That's really um, instead of a communication and a partnership, it's more of a demand and a telling. But we lose a certain quality of relationship. And for me, the thing that's most important is that if I make a mistake, I want my horse to take care of me and make a good decision in spite of my errors. And especially you know that when you're jumping or going cross country or fox hunting, it's really important that the horse is able to take care of himself and look out for you as opposed to you know thinking that you have to tell him what to do all the time. Because there's so many times you're gonna make a mistake or not know the terrain or they're gonna see something or know a better idea. Um, and so it's, it's sometimes it's hard for people, especially people that spend a lot of time in the arena, to um kind of let go of that sort of I'm supposed to know better thing and allow the horse to show us what they know or what they're curious about.
1: I, I agree. And I think part of that, you know, I wished we could have wisdom when we were young and humility when we were young, but sometimes we don't, right? We have hormones and all these other things, and maybe we don't know that much, but we think we do and and, but as we get a little bit older and we have a little more and, and, and those older trainers, they would offer us that advice. They'd say, well, you know, you might just want to slow down and, and you might want to learn to listen, but, but, you know, in essence, kind of what we're saying is, it's a beautiful thing to be, to be able to have enough humility to know that nobody knows as much about that horse as the horse does. Mm-hmm. And he's willing to teach us if we have a kind of a spirit of humility where we can listen to him and we don't have all the answers but uh but if we have that kind of spirit about us then he can he can say this this is helpful this works this causes me confusion and i think that's where we develop that harmony where when we struggle they're like it's okay lester i got this you know (laughs) you catch up because i know you will (laughs) and then when i catch up he's like i knew you'd come back but to get that there had to be some season of harmony where we were together and that's why the hands, the legs, the core, the breathing and all that had to sync up for a season. And then we had to kind of start working out those patterns of self-defense that he had. And that's where the sherpa I think, came in. He was able to turn loose of his old memories, physical especially, but obviously mental. And then off we go together. And then if I make a mistake or my balance is off or something, he's like, it's okay, I got you. Yeah. Or then sometimes he gets lost and then I'm over here and he's like, Whoa, I'm coming back to you. And that's a relationship. It's not a machine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's a really nice way of putting it. And, um, and you know, one of the things too, is that, you know, we always try to be so perfect in what we do with our horses, but, when we recognize that we're going to make mistakes and that's part of our journey, it's part of our learning. And, you know, I think back on horses, I remember one that when I was in Kentucky and the mistakes that I made back then because I just didn't know what I know now. Like you say, if we could go back with the wisdom that we have and go back to those horses. But the decision I made at the time was that I, I couldn't solve that in the past, but I could help every horse in the future that I come around. And so for me, it was right. learning from that and then gaining the knowledge I needed that would have solved that problem then and taking that forward with every horse that I work with so that I just keep helping the horses to make up for the one I couldn't help.
1: That's right. It's almost like you had to go through that to be better for the ones after.
0: Yeah, absolutely. 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 Um, And speaking of really good horses, you have pictures behind you of one of the, I think, the most super horse on the planet. (laughs) You want to tell us about those pictures? Yes.
1: Yes. This picture right here is Secretary, is a yearling, he's a yearling colt, and they probably didn't even know what they had, Mm -hmm. but this is a yearling colt here. It was taken in Paris, Kentucky, and of course this is Secretary after his you know after basically he's the triple crown winner and been to canada and this is a uh, a picture of secretary in his in his uh paddock when he was turned out to uh to you know when he was in his breeding season and uh so uh, obviously we're horse people and so to see the before and to see the after is a wonderful deal and you can see he's i mean he's got his ears and he's just kind of hanging out and he's just a kid but here we see the power and the majesty of a horse that you know that was able to find his joy i mean talk about joy i mean you really can't if you're if you're a red-blooded breathing human being you really can't watch the belmont and see him pull away from those other horses he clearly had the meat but you, you, you whether you like racing or not doesn't matter but here's a horse that was in his element and loved what his do, what loved what he did but in that particular moment that's probably to me one of the greatest moments in horse sport yes. when you saw him from his heart enjoy doing what he did and did it you know par excellence and i don't think anybody's duplicated that that moment you know ever since it's just you can't watch that without the hair standing up and and recognizing that's something very special
0: yeah and um on facebook that piece of film rolls around on a regular basis and i love watching that i you know, I went to see him when I lived in Kentucky. I went to see him at um, um, on that ranch, and uh, mm-hmm. he, he was just an amazing, amazing horse. And he, and he so knew, he knew who he was, he knew what his job was, mm-hmm. and he loved doing it. And that's the thing that that's was right. so amazing.
1: He loved doing it. That's what we want for all of our horses, don't we?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and sometimes, like you say, like, I'm, I'm going to pull up that um, picture of, of treasure again. Sometimes we just have to find the job they like to do the best. You know, like um, sometimes we think we know what the job is. Oh, he's a little sweaty here, but that's OK. Then people can appreciate that you're in Kentucky. Um, <laughs> let me hang on. I get that get that out of the way and share that screen. Um, but it's it's really important. I think that we do find the job that the horses like. And if that, and if we're not interested in that job, then we find someone who likes that job and find find a good home for that horse so that he's happy in what he's doing.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you can tell even I'm real happy with him right there. I've kind of, you know, I've got that twinkle in my eye look. It's like, man, you really worked hard today, Treasure, and I'm real proud of you.
0: Yeah. You could see the sweat around his eyes because yeah. Kentucky is hot in July. Um, but, you know, that he's willing to perform and to do and, you know, who cares about the heat? That's, you know, my Al flags in the heat. He's just too a hot-bodied horse. I, <laughs> poor soul, he suffers. But this horse, he thrived. And that's what you can see in that picture.
1: Yeah, the interesting thing about going to these, you know, and I'll occasionally take him out to a show if it's the right kind of, show they'll this is real interesting wendy and you'll get this there'll be a lot of horses there obviously and it's not that i'm anything special it's not me but they'll see treasure and i kind of over somewhere just kind of playing with some simple things getting ready for a class warming up and always there'll be some and it's usually an old timer there will usually be somebody walk up and like i said it's usually an old timer and they walk up and we don't always kind of fit the pattern that you see at a horse show And there'll be somebody that walks up and they'll say, I just wanted to come over and and tell you that I appreciate the relationship and the way you ride that horse and the relationship you have with that horse. And I'm like, I know what you're saying. Thank you.
0: That's better than any ribbon, isn't it?
1: It is. It is. And it's been kind of a long process. So I appreciate, you know, the owners being uh, good enough sports to want what's best for their horse. Just because We all do.
0: Yeah because it's it's hard sometimes like if you have a a new owner or an owner that's not uh, been around horses a lot to tell them look it's going to take me three years to get your horse where you want it to be um, and to stick with the horse and you through that time. Um, and I think this is where some people get in trouble is that they have a horse that has some issues and they don't realize that in the process of undoing the horses unravel just like people and you've got to be able to go through those really sticky spots to get to the other side. You have to allow that to come out. You can't stuff it because if you stuff it, it's only going to get worse. You've got to let it come out and do that in a way that's safe for everyone. But find a way where the horse can let go of the history, let go of the issues and, and come out on the other side. And sometimes that can take to- a lot of time. I'm sure you know about that. Think-
1: I think a key thing when the, during that process, when the horse is kind of unraveling, I I notice they all go through a season. It's not on a certain timeline, but all of them will go through a, they'll kind of throw down almost like a, Hey, I bet if I do this, you're going to correct me and get on to me just like before. And it's like, no. And it's almost like they'll test you to make sure that you're genuine. And the key thing I find right there is don't correct them the way you think you should correct them if they were like not re-asking the original question. If you can give them like a season of grace to let them kind of bring up those questions over and over and over again, and you just say, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And, And then pretty soon they start to think, you know what, it's okay he's not going to get on to me because I made a mistake. And sometimes they'll do those things to see if they can trigger you because they want to know who you are. And if you just stay the course, stay steady and have a long-term vision of what you want for them, they'll, they'll learn to trust you. And, and especially during those windows of like when you say it's a little bit ugly or they're unraveling, don't lose your cool, uh, don't lose your patience and just say, you know what, today's what I call a work day. Today is a work day, and we're going to put you away at a good moment. And then you're going to put in your stall, and you get to soak on the fact that you had a nice, quiet, even though it was work, you ended well. You finished well for the day. Yeah.
0: And, you know, you um, in the brain, and this is where I love listening to Dr. Peters, um, and I have to ask him this question, but I've, I've heard this term in other places. Um, it's called an extinction burst, and often what you'll see is an escalation of an old pattern before it actually extinguishes itself. It's like it's like the nervous system has to do it one more time before it can let go. And so we see these mini es- uh, extinction bursts where they're not they're not doing it to us, and they're not doing it intentionally. It's that the habit patterns running in the brain are running on a circuit, and it has to go through that process and have a different response. So nerves that fire together wire together and nerves that fire apart wire apart. And so when they mm-hmm. do an action, we have to not do the corresponding action to unwire it. And that's what you're talking about is, you're gonna, you're gonna act back, okay, fine. I'm just gonna keep myself safe, but I'm not gonna engage that. I'm not gonna correct you because if I do, I'm reinforcing the pattern you're expecting. And when I don't, I actually provide the nervous system with a way of letting it go, to unwire it. Um, it's why so often when rider, I work with riders and I change their leg position, I have them use a stick or a whip to replace their leg so that they don't keep reinforcing the old habit of the leg. And once that pattern lets go, then I can show them another way. But I can't show them another way until we undo the old pattern. And the only way to do that is to stop using it. Um, and so I, you know, but it's hard sometimes with horses because the old pattern can appear threatening or can seem dangerous. And it's just really important in those moments that we make sure we're safe, but we don't interact. We don't engage it. Um, it takes a lot of self-control, I think. Um, and as you say, patience, a lot of patience.
1: Yeah. And the self-control to override your instincts and just just yeah. discipline yourself to just sit quiet, tell them it's gonna be okay with all of your aids, and, and just kind of ride through. In other words, you're filling in for them at that moment. Yeah. And then once they understand that you're gonna fill in for them, I, I like that you provided the science behind it because I didn't quite I didn't quite understand it all myself. I just ridden through it enough that I knew that's how it worked. So it's interesting to hear the science behind it. Thank you.
0: Yeah, there's a great book about um, habits, um, which I, I can't think of the title right now, but I'll, I'll text you the title. Um, because it talks about how do we break habits, and essentially, when a horse is behaving badly, it's become a habit. Like, it's an like I think I related to chain smoking. You know, when a horse is anxious and they're constantly biting the lead shank or biting the chain or biting you, it's become a habit, and they don't even know they're picking up the cigarette over and over and over. And to just yell at them is like you know yelling at a person to stop smoking. It doesn't work, um, and we have to address the reason why the habit's there, and then avoid the habit, like avoid picking up the cigarette, avoid the chain. And I just try to keep it out of their way as an example until these other things can happen that the horse actually doesn't need to do it anymore. Um, But to just correct the horse for doing a habit that they don't know they're doing is just like, you know, yelling at your spouse for smoking when you know that they, they can't, they don't even know they're picking up a cigarette, right? It's, it's crazy making.
1: Right that's that's really good that's that's another principle that i use but i didn't have the science behind it because people will come in and they'll see one of my horses doing some little old thing that's not perfect and they're like aren't you gonna fix that it's like no i'm gonna ignore it yes because i've got bigger fish to fry that are important and next thing you know by ignoring it, those little things that i could have made like a big thing they're just gone yeah because the big thing horses like hooking on to the big good things and those little things they just disappear by not picking on them.
0: Right, right. And so often what people don't understand is that, the, that what the horse is expressing is either is not feeling safe or not feeling secure. And when we can make them feel safe and secure, then the anxiety patterns, just like in people, go away. You know, but safety and security is hmm. so critical to the horse being able to be present, to learn, to feel connection, it's all the stuff we've talked about with uh, in other webinars talking about the vagal nerve response. And the number one question is, am I safe? And if we don't answer that, yes, you are safe with me. If we don't answer that in a positive way, that horse can never actually perform for us in the way we want. Because we failed the fundamental question of, you are safe.
1: Wow, this is great. I think I got more out of this than anybody today. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah I'll put the title of the book when we post the uh, webinar I'll, it's um I can see the cover it's a yellow cover with wheels on it and it 's about habits, but i can't remember the name right now so i'll make sure I post that later because it's you know the more we can understand the the neurochemical process behind a pattern, then the easier it is for us to look at something and go, "Oh, I, you know I recognize that what you're actually showing me is your anxiety or." You know, you're not feeling comfortable, you're not feeling safe, rather than just reacting to the symptom of that. And I think the horses that get in trouble the most, there's two of them. There's the shutdown horse, the horse that's totally non-reactive and then we wind up beating on it. And the fool around horse, the one that's messing around and fidgeting and not standing still. And we think he's just being badly behaved. But uh, Robin Hood's coined a really good phrase. Robin Hood is Linda's sister, Linda Tellington Jones' sister. And she calls it, uh, she calls fooling around domesticated flight. So the horse can't flee. So where does that energy go? It's got to go somewhere else. And so it goes into messing around. And if you think about kids, like I'll never forget in high school, the kid that put the ink down my back on my yellow shirt, you know, he was messing around and the bottom line is he wasn't okay. But what happens is those kids and those horses get beat up on or yelled at or punished because they're misbehaving and the cause is missed and the cause is that they're not okay. And if we can address that, like you say, ignore the the niggly things going on here and address the root, like feeling safe, helping them feel safe and secure, then those things go away on their own.
1: Oh, that's that's good, that's good, I like it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> somebody said in the chat, Lester, that Lester is a treasure. <laughs>
1: Oh, well, thank you, Wendy, and thank you, thank you for your panel. I appreciate that. Well, it, uh, it kind of started out as a big old hunk of coal, and it's been polished by the fire. So,
0: <laughs> you know that coal turns into diamonds, right?
1: I do know that. yes, So, uh, so there's our treasure.
0: Yep. Well, thank you, Lester. The treasure. hour has flown by. It's been a pleasure to have you as a guest, and I, I really appreciate you sharing our, your story of treasure. And it's just wonderful to see how you know the success story there and the lovely pictures of the horse and how um, how you guys have found harmony. So thank you so much for sharing that with us.
1: Welcome Wendy. Glad to be part of your program. Hello to everybody that's watching.
0: Yep. All right. And so you can find this in all my webinars on my YouTube channel, Surefoot Equine. Please also go and join fans of Surefoot because we post success stories there and people can ask questions and share experiences. And um, I just want to thank you all again for joining me. Um, tomorrow my best is Becky, uh, uh, I, Becky, <laughs> and she's going to talk about Masterson Method. And so please join us tomorrow for another great webinar with another fabulous guest. Until then, everybody take care and be safe. Thank you so much for joining sure. me, and uh, bye, Lester.
1: Bye. Yeah, bye, Wendy, From see y'all.